Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm thrilled to have partnered with Mindful Chef in the second series of Food for Thought. Mindful Chef is all about convenience, quality, and balance, delivering simple, nutritious, and sustainably sourced fresh recipe boxes straight to your door. With dairy-free, gluten-free, and vegan recipes available, there is something for absolutely everybody. And what's more, for every meal sold, Mindful Chef donates a school meal to a child in need. You can save £20 across your first two boxes from Mindful Chef, plus get a free cookbook from the founders by heading to mindfulchef.com forward slash food for thought or if you use the code from this podcast food for thought when you order your first box that will be applied hello and thank you so much for tuning in to food for thought a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, master practitioner, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode of this second series, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authorities in the world of well-being so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. We're often warned about the damaging effects of technology on our health, from making our eyesight worse to anxiety-inducing social media. What about when it comes to things like step-counting apps and digital GP appointments? Aren't these seen as positive aspects of technology? With new technologies emerging all the time, should we be concerned or should we be embracing them? And what does the future hold when it comes to our health? So joining me for discussion around whether technology is friend or foe is Dr. David Grimes, a physicist and cancer researcher at the University of Oxford, whose straight-talking approach can help us debunk some of the myths around the science behind emerging technology. Hello, David. Hello, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. I've been so excited to do this episode. It's been such a long time coming, and I just heard as well that there's a feature that came out today in the press about exactly what we're going to talk about today. Yes, uh, I hope I won't let you down too much. No, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you won't. So I think the questions around whether technology is helpful or a hindrance to our health is often really debated, isn't it? It's something that is often very topical. And is it really as simple as is it good or bad for our health? 
I would say there's very few questions that can be stratified in, into good or bad. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this urge that people do to say good, you know, bad. The problem with those labels is they, they miss the context and the nuance. Is something good? Well, it depends on the context. Is something bad? Again, it's context specific. I always joke about radiation, which I do a lot of research on. Radiation might be really good if you're treating a tumour. It of might course. be terrible if you're living above a radon mine. <laughs> so everything matters. Context is king. That is so true. I couldn't agree more. It's the same with nutrition. Things are often blown out of context all the time. And let's start with some of the arguments around why technology might be seen as damaging. So if we're going from that angle, so public health England say that we spend now in excess of seven hours a day sedentary and technology isn't of course always to blame for everything but of course watching TV playing computer games desk jobs scrolling our phones surely you must have witnessed a rise in this as well Uh, given that I usually work in an office for for sure but I, I think that 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 change in our lifestyle has come over several decades before I goes this 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 renaissance of technology that mm. we're now experiencing where we have the entire libraries of the world's contents at our fingertips we do. and it certainly is something that we need to be concerned about um, if we're sitting there and we're not expending enough calories and, and things mm-hmm. like that well it's probably not surprising that obesity rates tend to spike around that but again we also have to look at that as a more nuanced question why are we spending more time not moving? It, it's hmm. Technology is certainly part of the answer to that, but it's not the entirety of the answer. No. And what other aspects would you say are contributing to that? I suppose there's been a decline in uh, jobs that require physical labor is of one course. thing. What, what we do, we've automated an awful lot of things, so you yep. could argue that's another yep. version of, of technology. But that can also be beneficial. I mean, if we can do some jobs you know, without putting people in, in hazardous situations, mm. well, that is probably a good thing. No, it's true. But what about things even like speakers? And um, if you think about sound and home technologies, I think it's called, is it hybrid technology? Or home? The smart techs the and smart things like tech. that. Yeah. Um, I remember being a pro, this is awful, I'm saying this on my podcast, but I was a promo girl um, handing out flyers once when I was a student for a, a home technology company and literally you would just clap your hands and the lights would come on. Is that not making us lazy? Pretty sure I saw that in Wayne's World <laughs> years ago. <laughs> but it, it, it probably is to an extent. But then I, I would wonder reasonably, and I'm sure we could do the calculation, but I'm, I'm sure your audience don't want to go through it. What would be the calorific expenditure of getting up off your sofa to flick a light switch versus using Ooh. your phone app to do it? And okay. I'm sure, of course, you're going to burn more calories if you move. Mm. But I wonder, is it enough like well, just going for a walk now and then yeah. make up for that excess? I think it's very easy to to look at something that's new and go, that's a that's a bad thing. That's making us do bad things. You're mm-hmm. like, yeah, it really? Is it just an easy thing to, to, to focus on? Yeah. Or is it really a problem? And the answers to that will be debated for some time. Even I, today, I'm yeah. not sure we'll get to the bottom of it. <laughs> no, it's interesting, though. I think uh, one thing that's definitely out there is that I'm on the tube every day here in London and posture is a big thing. I know sitting down, even now it's quite hard because we're sat on stools and it's very difficult to remind yourself to bring your shoulders back like our grandparents once told us. Surely looking down at our phone, the tube has become a zombie zone where everybody is looking down. That can't be great for us. It must be affecting Mm. our eyesight, perhaps? Well, funnily enough, uh, many, many years ago, I mean over a century ago, someone made a similar critique of the novel. Really? That people, oh, all these people reading books <gasps> and in public transport. And if you think about it, the posture is very similar. So I wouldn't usually think that we've changed in that 
that much. Some people might say we've reduced our social levels of interaction. That's true. But mm. the converse is we're interacting more. We're sending more messages to people as well. Is FaceTime very? I, I don't mean a FaceTime in the <laughs> in in the, the copyrighted version of it. But does does that matter? Probably. And and they're slightly more nuanced questions again. Is it damaging our eyesight? Is a very interesting one. Yeah. We get asked it a lot. There is no good scientific evidence that looking at screens damages your eyes. Okay. There is, however, good evidence that if you look at screens at the wrong angle, say you put your monitor in a bad thing, you'll cause eye strain because you're holding your eye muscles at uh, you know something that's not very comfortable for them. That's usually transient. And the way you avoid that is taking regular breaks, which mm. we should all be doing anyway. Well, Even yeah. though we're all workaholics, we should be taking regular <laughs> breaks. And you know, occasionally looking away and making sure that we've positioned our monitors and things like that in good locations. And if you work in an office, I think there's legal obligations for your employer to, you mm. know, make sure you're not damaging yourself in well, the course yeah. of your duties. <laughs> We'd hope so. But of course, you said there's no research yet. But is there emerging research into the blue light specifically you get from your mobile phones? So blue light, it, this is this is kind of interesting. So um, and it kind of my PhD area when I way mm. back when I was young, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was was on ultraviolet radiation, which yeah. is just a step up from blue light. So visible light or all light is on a spectrum. Yeah, some of which we can see, some of which we can't. And it, the frequency and energy, the higher the frequency, the higher the energy, and we can mm-hmm. only see up. We can see up to about blue, and then it gets into ultraviolet A, B, C. Okay. So blue light has some impact on our um, our sleeping rhythms. You know, ah, a circadian rhythm. Yeah. But we get a lot more blue light from, say, the sun than we ever would from our screen. So intensity is a big issue. Okay. So the first thing to talk about is it does, there is some evidence that heavy use of screens that emit a small amount of blue light and over, a, but so they only emit a small amount of blue light, but if you're using them an awful lot. How would you define heavy use for someone listening? Is, is, there's not really a criteria, is there? Well, funny enough, it's in the evidence that we have, and it is quite scant, it seems to really manifest in teenagers rather than adults. It doesn't seem to affect adults the same way. Yeah. Um, it is very hard to quantify screen time. It is. I mean, uh, yeah. and, but <laughs> it's, it's more, the recommendation now is, if you for good phone and sleep hygiene, is to essentially an, a half an hour to an hour before you want to go to sleep, to stop using your phone. Yeah. But even then, we have to bear in mind the blue light portion that comes out of it is relatively low. Mm. The second issue that comes from that is there's, there's now been emerging claims from people that it's damaging your skin. I'd love to touch on this. Uh, I've heard all sorts it, of things. I mean, going back to what you said before, I've heard it disrupts melatonin production. I actually had another doctor before that's claimed that, which is interesting. And damaging skin, I'm now seeing products on the shop shelves with anti-blue um <laughs> kind of protection like should we be wearing these god no right so i'm gonna uh, so this, I have this, those I'm, I'm going to put my scientist hat on now because i have this again touches on stuff we uh, blue light was part of a spectrum of stuff i had to study many many years yes. ago kind of kept up to date in that research and here's the thing about it there is no evidence in any of the studies that have been done that blue light does any dna damage oh, or does any collagen damage mm-hmm. so the problem with uv radiation which is stuff that gives you sin, um, you know ages your skin and gives you sunburn and things like that and it can cause cancer it's much higher energy than blue light so it needs to have a certain amount of energy to cause dna damage either to you have to your dna or collagen damage mm-hmm. that's why you see people from florida who sit out in the sun and they look like prunes because their <laughs> collagen has been destroyed yeah, yeah. Uh, again i'm very anti sunbathing well, if you want a tan sunscreen. i say wear a lot of fake stuff <laughs> don't go out in the real life I that's agree. researcher hat but I love um, a fake tan. <laughs> the thing about these products and and this is interesting that i think it's Estee lauder and people like that are selling these 
I would imagine, very expensive. They're very expensive, yeah. yes. But firstly, they wouldn't work. The mechanism that they're claiming mm-hmm. would, would be impossible. And secondly, they are, I would say, exploiting people's lack of scientific uh, literacy and and kind of scaremongering a little bit. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, as someone who's very interested in the public understanding of science, I don't think that's responsible. Yeah. And I think that sometimes cosmetic companies have a bit of a habit of doing that. But they do, actually. And I think I'm a person that's probably brought into every single skin <laughs> fad under the sun. And it's so relieving to hear you say that. But what about um, another one is radiation? You know, hold your phone too close to your ear or you shouldn't have it in your pocket, your jean pocket. Yeah, I, 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 love, I love these ones. I love these okay, ones because this is now my current area of research. So, so I jump into, well, I, I, have, I wear a few hats. Fabulous. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about your hats so, as well. <laughs> not in real life, though. I wouldn't cover up my hair. I'm quite, I'm quite fond of it. Um, but yeah, so when people talk about radiation, it's kind of put down as this. And I even did it earlier on in the show. It's kind of a, this, this kind of scary nebulous concept. Mm. Radiation, again, visible light is radiation. Radiation is anything that radiates, right? Of course. So what your phone does, there's two types of radiation you could say your phone gives. The screen, the visible light you get off it, and we've kind of touched on blue light mm-hmm. and why it's probably, unless it might disrupt your sleep, not mm-hmm. that big of a deal. Um, and the other kind of radiation that's associated with phones is is microwave radiation. Okay. And uh, this yes. is interesting, I think, because there are so many misconceptions about it. Um, I kind of have a funny story about this, but I'll, I'll, I'll address no, the misconceptions <laughs> first, right? So people get very worried about microwave mm. radiation and think, oh, I'm, I'm being exposed to it. But a photon, which is like a packet of energy, a packet of energy, I guess, or a packet of light, the energy of a microwave photon is like a thousandth of that of visible light. It is not a powerful form of radiation. Okay. Visible light isn't breaking your DNA bonds or isn't causing mm. cancer or things like that. And there is no way in hell that microwave radiation is. Mm. Some of the confusion comes from people going, well, microwaves can heat things, so therefore... Well, I hear this a lot in my clinic and private practice. Can I microwave food? And I'm like, yeah, of course you can. But people still have the misconception it yeah. causes oh, terrible absolutely. things like cancer. Because people don't fully understand it. So the way microwave heating works, it's called dielectric heating, is it just happens to have a frequency that's very similar to the vibrational frequency of water. And if you put it in a special container, like your microwave, and you (laughs) make it really, really powerful, and you focus it really, really intensely, Mm. you can vibrate water molecules, which is why you can heat stuff that has lots of water in it, but you couldn't heat your cornflakes. You go home and microwave your cornflakes, it's not going to get that much hotter. They probably just burn. Absolutely. Or they won't do anything. They won't do anything. Yeah, yeah, you can do this for fun. I mean, don't recommend people going to do this for fun. No, I was imagining a foul-smelling kind of cornflake. Nothing, not just a thing. Because they don't, they, if, if it is dehydrated, if there's no water in it, there's nothing to vibrate, of so course. it just passes through. But to make microwave heating happen, A, you need hugely powerful microwave like, uh, transmitters, which mm. your microwave has. And secondly, you need to confine that in a resonant chamber. Mm. So that's not going to happen with your mobile phone. Your mobile phone is a wimpy electromagnetic radiation okay. frequency. But this is such a common misconception that even scientists make it. Yeah. So last year, a paper fell across my desk. And I sometimes get asked to check potentially bogus papers. Of course. And this one fell across my desk that basically said that microwaves were causing or mobile phones were causing cancer and autism. And it fell across the desk of a colleague and friend of mine, uh, Professor Dorothy Bishop at Oxford. Now, Dorothy's fellow of the Royal Society and is like one of the go-to people on autism spectrum disorders. Yeah. So we'd both been sent the paper for very different, different reasons. reasons. Mm-hmm. But I kind of rang her and said, have you seen this nonsense? But she was like, I, I was about to ask you if you've seen this nonsense. So we authored a pretty comprehensive rebuttal of it. Okay. We basically wrote, this is an absolute falsehood. And what they had done, which is very misleading, is that they had basically taken the effects of 
very, very high energy radiation, like okay. x-rays and things that can mm. cause DNA damage, and then just basically fudge them to say, and your mobile phone could do that. Terrible. Unless you're carrying around a particle accelerator in your pocket, your mobile yeah. phone is not going to be causing cancer. No. But it's very irresponsible to claim so. And of course, one of the people involved in the paper runs a company where um, they sell, you know, Wi-Fi minimization products. No surprise there. So I felt that, you know, that's this why you have to be on the ball and kind of well, you, you can't do. just trust everything you read is one of the problems, unfortunately. No, and a lot of the TV shows over here in the UK at the moment, I've even seen claims that if you put your mobile phone in your jean pocket, it affects fertility, it affects men's testicles. Like, that must be a myth as well. Well, one of the things I talked about years ago is if you heat up something. So yeah. the testicles are, I think, roughly three degrees colder than the rest of... Uh, oh, how interesting. Of I did well, not know that. For, for sperm. But I think, well, I imagine it's inside. I mean, I've never take, <laughs> I've never taken the thermometer to mine or anyone else's, but maybe <laughs> but later. you didn't think you'd be discussing uh, this today. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't. You know, I, I just imagine people listening at home like, good Christ, that's an image that none of us wanted. But yes, the testicles are kept lower for, for sperm production. Yeah. So there was a fear that if you're, like, saying, putting a laptop or something that's emitting a lot of heat, mm. could you damage long-term fertility okay. uh, probably not oh thank you that's um, good you know again mm. uh, what what would you be doing you might as well put a hot water bottle on your crotch it would be the same problem yeah. so I mean we, we, we technology scares us but literally you know do you know it, it's so relieving to hear all of this and I think another area to touch on that would be quite useful is what about the bacteria because there's big claims saying your phone contains as much bacteria as your toilet seat and surely that must have a degree of truth depending how hygienic you are I'm, I'm, I'm sure it actually I'm sure it's rough approximately true no matter how hygienic or or, or non-hygienic you may mm. be but I also think it's very misleading to say that because what we're doing there is we're taking bacteria and we're going bacteria are bad we would die without bacteria they're so true they're everywhere they're they all are. over our skin they yeah. they exist inside our gut yeah we need them a lot more than they need us yeah so when I I, I delved a little bit into that headline when it came out ages mm. ago and they took something like a toilet seat which I imagine is bacterially not that dense I mean, there's not that much living matter on it and mm. toilet seats don't really mm. you know bacteria like being near living matter because they usually feed off of course so they know, wouldn't yeah. be on the seat so but not even <laughs> in high concentration so mm. I'm like that's it, it seems a misleading headline what would be a more interesting thing is are people vectoring infection because of, of their phone and as far as I could tell by I, doing the very nerdy thing and delving through the literature, <laughs> I have found nothing to say they are Okay. so at the moment I'm going to kind of go yeah I'm going to treat that with the you know a yeah. large measure of, of caution and a grain yeah. of salt. Well, it's great to hear some positive aspects that social media isn't quite as scary as we thought. But what about our mental health? So I know that there's a lot of concern now, and I actually have some views on this, but I'd like to hear yours first. Do you think it's negatively impacting our health? Well, there's, it's a big there's question. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of a pessimist on this a little mm -hmm. bit. I would say yes in two ways. The first way, and, and, and maybe you can um, divulge more on this, mm. guys, uh, there is some evidence that suggests that it's causing serious body image problems yes. in uh, young women in particular, but young men as well, and even mm. older men and women. Um, when they, People who spend a lot of time on, say, Instagram, mm. there's some evidence that's linked with an increase in you know, uh, dysmorphia and, and other you know, negative yeah. traits. Yeah. Because what people forget is that um, social media is aspirational. It's fake. It's an image-based Yes. Platform. Oh, and... Filtered and, world. And I know, like, my own cases, I usually, I like to think I'm immune to mental health issues. No one is. No. If you are feeling bad about yourself, social media is sometimes the worst... Play. I mean, I even, I even mm -hmm. when I'm not having a good day, I limit my social media stuff. Now, obviously, I do the science yeah. outreach stuff, and that goes on my Twitter channel. Yeah. But I don't go and look at people's Instagram, yeah. or I don't go and look at Facebook posts, yeah. because they can make you miserable. 
I can like, agree more. You know, my life. What, why is my life so crap at the moment? <laughs> but they're hiding that too. Yes, unless it's true. someone is an idiot. There's times <laughs> when they're going to be miserable. And anyone who masquerades as, you know, hashtag everything fantastic, mm. is to me like, yeah, you're 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 not telling the truth. Really, it's great to hear have a male perspective on that actually, because a lot of the time, you're right, it does affect everybody. But there are a lot more women I feel speaking out about that side of things than men, especially in the world of science, actually, which is really good to mm. hear. And how do you think we can combat that? I mean, if we're looking at future generations going on social media a lot more, is there a link between it inducing stress, not just body image? Perhaps it's harder to switch off. What are we going to do about that? I have to admit that I find it sometimes makes it hard for me to switch off. Yeah. So um, one of the the downsides of what I do, and I love I love doing, I hope I make some kind of positive impact over the past few years, but mm. one of the things I don't like is I can often get hate mail or really vicious comments and occasionally death threats they're fun as well mm. and sometimes they're so ridiculous you can like go oh that's cute but sometimes people will write something particularly vicious that just sticks in your craw just a tad personal mm. I call those trolls mm. really oh, yeah. not very nice they'll, they'll find something like they you know they'll they'll, they'll spread a rumour or try to disenfranchise and and 99% of the time, I, I like to think I have a thick skin. I, mm. don't, I don't, but I like to think I do. Yeah, I don't I'm actually either. a soft git, I know. And <laughs> that's not something I should admit because that trolls will be rejoicing. Oh, no. But most of the time I've learned that this, is, this reflects on them, not me. But mm. there's times if you're not feeling great or whatever else, that really sticks with you. Mm. And it can... And so I think resilience is something we could kind of teach. But I think mm. a bigger thing would be to overview our entire view of mental health to say to people look you know when people do this kind of stuff it reflects on them Mm. and we shouldn't internalize and go what have I done but I think it's very normal reaction to go I must have done something or I must deserve this it feels like a personal (laughs) attack and you question it because we're all vulnerable absolutely yeah yeah Um, I think the second issue with social media and I'm sure we'll come to this a bit later on um, is is the propensity for disinformation and misinformation oh, to propagate. Mm. And this is something I spend a lot of my waking hours dealing with, I, I, particularly on topics like vaccination or, or alleged yes. or ostensible cancer cures. Mm-hmm. The fact that misinformation by greatly outnumbers actual reputable sources. Well, if you think yeah, about the concern. questions I've already asked you, because they're the questions people want <laughs> yeah, to know, yeah. that says it all, really. <laughs> uh, abs- absolutely. And I spend a, a disproportionate amount of my time trying mm. to debunk these myths. But it, it feels like throwing snowballs at an avalanche oh, at times. Because you're like, well, I can give you the full weight of a scientific consensus that I've got. And I can show you how we got there and where we arrived at these decisions. And you feel like you don't make a dent sometimes. It's that's very, it can be yeah. very frustrating yeah. when you feel that but way. I promise yeah. you, you are, and everybody <laughs> listening is going to be taking something away from this. And how about so we touched on mental health? We know that there's a big concern there, and I think time will tell. And obviously, for future mm. generations, that's going to be an interesting development. Like you said, perhaps the more they're exposed to it, the more resilience they will build compared to us as we didn't have a childhood emerged yeah, in it. Yeah, true. Yeah, so I'm hoping that's the case. What about our sleep patterns? So I had a discussion with Dr. Chatterjee uh, a few months ago now, and he was discussing how technology does impact our sleep and our circadian rhythms. Could you touch on that a little bit? I, I believe the emergent evidence is very much that they that it can. Mm. And this is why there's a, a big movement towards improving our sleep hygiene. We do sleep less mm-hmm. than our previous generations. However, there's still mixed evidence whether that's actually affecting us to any great degree. Okay. Sleep science is surprisingly complicated. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> there's no straightforward answers to it. There's there's mm. you know there's there's different schools of thought on it, but I think all of us have experienced the um, 
you know, you're half asleep but you still can't put your phone down. And oh, then it buzzes goodness. in the middle of the night and suddenly you're like, oh God, I have to... Or, I can't have my phone in my bedroom anymore, David. I have to get a separate alarm clock because I will wake up or go to bed looking at it. At it's like yeah, an addiction. Falling asleep with it in your hand occasionally happens as well, <laughs> particularly when you're drunk. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it's a weird thing. I, I, I've gone through phases of being very sleep hygienic, as in I put my phone outside the room and leave it on charge at certain times. But it depends if I have a routine or not. And currently, because I'm doing a lot of different things and a lot of different projects coming out, I'm keeping really weird hours. Mm. And uh, the phone is kind of glued to me. And that's not always a good thing. No. Uh, I have what I've tried to do is set up. There's three or four people that actually really matter to me. Okay. And for different reasons, yeah. they might need contact at weird hours. Yeah. They have priority notification. Yeah. And everyone else can go, go and stuff <laughs> until the morning or until some kind of reasonable hours. But even then... Like if you're apprehensive about something or you're worried mm-hmm. about something, I find my worst habit, and I'm not sure if you get this here, is checking constantly. Yeah, even if yeah. there's nothing to yeah. check. Even if you're like, well, you know, if you're if you're apprehensive about something, I find constant checking and then you get more apprehensive. Yeah, like you're waiting for an email <laughs> to come in or you're looking yeah. at your rooms. Even though you know you can't physically reply to it on the go, you will look at it. Absolutely. I turn notifications off on all my inboxes, WhatsApp, everything. I, I think that's probably, uh, my yeah. brother does the same thing and yeah. I think it's probably a good idea. But recently, because of different factors, I haven't been able to do that as much. Mm. Um, that makes it hard. And it does make it hard, but like it's, it's always a trade-off. It's always like, right, does this, you know, uh, I also have a, a, a mis- I make a mistake, a lot of people do. I sometimes feel I have to reply instantly. I must, you know, or, or I'll let someone down. Or I'll, I think that's yeah. a nice trait. You know what, I'm going with that's a nice trait because I know that feeling all too yeah. well. But is there a way that we can measure and protect ourselves? So I know some companies are putting in um, screen monitoring time. So you can download all these apps. Is there an average time that's um, scientifically proven to be better than others? I am kind of sceptical of a lot of screen monitoring apps because I'm not sure how much passive versus active recording they do. And I'm also not sure how much data we actually have to say what's right or what's wrong. Mm -hmm. If you work, I have friends, who, example, don't have a laptop. They do everything from their phone. Really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What about their thumb? I mean, I think about the pain in (laughs) hands. I'm just like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. I try to to do as much as I can from my my array of computers and use my phone when I'm on the go. Like even watch. WhatsApp, I'll put on the, the app and mm-hmm. I'll run it from my desktop yeah. most of the time. Yes, that's exactly what uh, we do. Yeah, yeah, because I'm like, well, because I, I have a full keyboard now, I can and type I, and faster. And typos are terrible sometimes. Ugh. I mean, typos on a phone, it's just it's just embarrassing. The, the best one is when you put in a typo that changes the entire context of the message. You're like, oh God, I hope. And I you, you can now do the WhatsApp delete for everyone. You're like, please delete that before they think that I'm actually an idiot. That was my favorite feature, deleting in a WhatsApp group. But anyway, sorry, you were saying, so with, <laughs> with the screen time monitoring. Yeah, I, I, I again, I think it's it's very much in its infancy. Mm. So I can't give you a nice, you know, solid, the science says this, because the moment it's, it might be like one of the old maps where they have countries they don't know circled, there be dragons. We, we have no idea. <laughs> no. And we'll, 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 we'll discover it as we go. Okay, okay. And what about, so food tracking is something that I know a lot of people are a fan of. And I remember the first time a particular food tracking app came around and it's called, it's called My Fitness Pal. I'm sure everybody listening will know of it. And it was one of the first ones to be kind of included with a phone or you could download for free. Do you think this technology is going to grow and be accessible to everyone? I mean, I have databases, obviously, as a health professional that we use mm. to do that because we know these apps are not 100% accurate and they never will be. Do you see that market growing in terms of technology? I see the market growing, but I also see a potential for risk with it, which I'm sure Mm. you do as well. 
I think one of the problems is that when you're I, I believe most of these apps work by trying to approximate your calorific intake. Yeah. Which is essentially what oh. groups like Weight Watchers were probably trying with pen and paper them. back in the day. Yeah. Is it productive? I'm not sure. I think some mm. people might benefit from keeping a food diary because people do underestimate how much they eat. Mm. However, this is back to our good and bad discussion yeah. earlier on. If you have a, you know, a, a disposition towards maybe a body image or eating disorders this could be very destructive. Yeah. This, you could go, oh, I, I had an extra cupcake today and, you know, I'm on a spiral. Um, or, you know, if you're someone who, who can use it in a way that it doesn't personally affect you. Mm. But that, again, comes down to our relationship with food, which you know exactly. a lot more about than me, <laughs> but also our relationship with ourselves. Mm. So, you know, I'd have friends who I would never recommend that to because they've struggled with images in the past or yeah. and I have other friends like my some of my nerdy friends who just love monitoring stuff well, this and is, I'm like this look you go mad thing. knock yourself out yeah you know? there's always new technology and I completely agree the first thing I say to a lot of people is delete that app delete any form of yeah. tracking on your mobile phone it's not healthy like you said before the kind of um, apprehension where you want to look at something all the time that oh, yes. can become yeah. especially addictive with a mobile phone in comparison yeah. even to a food diary, like you said. You wouldn't just get your notebook out, although actually in different cases of disordered eating, perhaps you would. Might be, yeah. But moving on from all the doom and gloom, <laughs> okay, setting all that aside, um, let's talk about where technology can really help us and what it can do to help our health. I mean, what do you think about um, your other peers in the world of science and technology? Do they agree with you that it can have a place that's beneficial? Well, I think there's there is, I mean, Again, I, going back to, to my disclaimer that good and bad is all context specific. Oh, yeah. Something that's really important that I think that is cool is like I'm currently wearing a smartwatch. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is the, the S3. I'm not, I'm not getting paid by Samsung. This is literally no, just the I one I have No, I love a Samsung on. watch. I have a, um, a Galaxy one and it's really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I, it's quite fun. But I, the reason, the one nice thing about this is because the, the heart rate monitoring is pretty accurate. Now, some of the monitoring is poor. The calorific monitoring on mm. a lot of the smartwatches is not particularly good. I yeah, think. please take note of that, yeah. everybody listening, that the calories on these apps and these watches and your treadmills in the gym and all that kind of stuff, they're never accurate. It, you might as well guess in some yeah, cases. Yeah, yeah. But the data that is useful is like, say, heart rate data. Mm. And where I see that going in the future is that we actually can get more predictive of conditions, chronic conditions that are developing. So I can say, right, um, I'm looking at the the rate here. There was a paper recently on this. I think uh, Leeds University did it last year. I'm monitoring a particular type of cardiac uh, problem that some Mm. people can have. Mm. And they were able to detect it uh, in their cohorts using and and before it ever had manifested as a problem. So prevention is better than cure. I completely agree. I mean, in everything from from cancer to to, to cardiac issues, (laughs) for sure. So using this kind of uh, this data to to predict that and, and to be able to better you know make make interventions that would be fantastic the caveat with that is that a lot of people say oh yeah well that's what the companies will do in facebook i don't and this is this sounds very um you know paranoid of me but mm-hmm. I, I, it isn't I, and I'll, I'll explain why this is not the kind of data that you want private companies to analyze mm-hmm. because when they use their fancy algorithms and tell you something you have no idea if that is actually really predictive because mm. it's all proprietary. Mm. If it's done academically and open source and people say, like, I want to put, give that data to a project, mm. um, then you can see how it was arrived at and scientists can pick at the conclusions and go, is that accurate or not? Yeah. But we've already seen now a lot of companies and with genetic data, you see this a lot, like these 23andMe oh, companies, yeah, yeah. they get your data and then their algorithms that say, oh, you're X percent from this mm. are they don't tell you how they get there and no. when you retest them they don't have good retestability no. so I think if we're going to do open data about health mm. data it has to be open mm. but that is 
probably a bit of a nerdy uh, (laughs) divergence. I think that's really useful for people to hear because whenever you conduct a study or you collate a lot of research, there's different step-by-step methods and things that have to be done to make it valid, to make sure that what you do can be repeated and you'll get the same result time and time again. Absolutely. So what what Dave has basically just said is that, you know, why would they want to take our dodgy data from our watches? (laughs) Yeah, or or at least if science isn't reproducible, it's not Mm. science. Exactly. we all do the same experiment we should all get roughly the same result for the same populations completely so if unless we want to you be were me in a lab when I was back at uni <laughs> and honestly I uh, well, you, you know you, you don't this is why I'm, I'm mainly a theorist because uh, <laughs> but it, it is it is a concern and mm. I mean it's more a concern with genetic data but if companies hold this themselves and then they claim they've got an algorithm mm. algorithms are a lovely buzzword but all they mean is yeah. a, they're a step. They're a step of I analyze this to get there. So can you explain an algorithm sure. to everyone? Because I think yeah. most people relate to it with a platform like Instagram. Like- sure. So all, all an algorithm, al- um, <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> In- English is hard. Uh, all an algorithm actually is, is a series of steps. Okay. It's basically, um, so an algorithm for, for you, you can look at it in a mathematical way. Take this function, square it, do this, subtract, right? Okay. So it's a it's it's a cook it's a recipe what you do mm. data mm. and say when you look at your Instagram and your Facebook they'll be like people who like this we have noticed like this so we'll recommend this to the right? mm. so it's it's a series of steps mm. now these companies deliberately keep their algorithms opaque they don't want you to know about them mm. but good science which uses algorithms all the time they should be so open you should say so you go how did you come to that conclusion and we should go well actually we found this and we did this mm. and here's you should be able to reproduce it of course. private companies mm. they like to keep it proprietary they do not want yeah. you to know it so facebook and youtube and 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 twitter and instagram they have their own proprietary uh, mm. algorithms yeah it doesn't mean they're smart no. like i mean it, it's a fancy word and people think it sounds smart yeah. it literally is recipe it's a series <laughs> of steps which they try to keep hidden from you everyone complains about that recipe on it on a daily yeah. basis yeah. i feel but you're right in terms of the government definitely getting involved with technology a lot more. I mean, there's now plans in England that patients are going to have access online to a GP kind of 24 hours a day via Mm. your mobile phone, different health apps. Um, This is obviously for medical advice. Now, I'm kind of on the fence with this is a wonderful idea, obviously, but it's not going to be applicable to everybody, is it? What are your thoughts there? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Well, I, I guess it comes down to severity. So I guess if you want to reduce, I mean, 
all health services are always going to be up against the wall and the and the NHS for sure. Yeah. So if you can reduce the amount of, you know, physical hours that people have to queue up, that that would be beneficial. Mm. But I would imagine they're always going to have to err on the side of caution. Mm. If I did this online consultation, say I have chest pain, I imagine any reputable doctor will go, <laughs> look, I can't, you can't take you a risk on it, you'll in. have to come in. Mm. But what you can do is stratify. If someone goes, oh, well, they have a bit of a runny nose, and is, like, which people do. People still go to the doctor for colds and flus. I know. And we, I know. we've been telling people for decades, stay at, stay at home. You literally infect everyone else yeah, in the room and you're not. <laughs> so, so if people stop doing that, that mm. would be great. And yeah. it would also not waste as much time if yeah. someone like doctors are. You, I mean, I, I, tr- I, I go occasionally to doctors, but they, you know, they're massively stretched for time. Of course. And a lot of the reason for that is that they're dealing with some things that, you know, Aren't are, tri- are, are trivial or not yeah. necessary. Mm. There's also a pressure now. It's more so in the US. There was a pressure on doctors for years that patients would come with, say, something that would self-clear. It was self-limiting, like yeah. a, a head cold or something, yeah. and would demand on- antibiotics. Well, yes. And yeah. this was a huge issue because mm. we are seeing a massive upspike in antibiotic resistance. Diseases that you could once treat easily are now immune to it because people have irresponsibly used antibiotics and, mm. and eventually these things develop a resistance to them. Mm. Like there are, I, I don't want to scare people, but there That's are treatment-resistant gonorrhea strains going around and things like that. We wow. can't cure anymore. Wow. Like a disease that we could literally cure with a pill yeah. a few years ago. And there's diseases that, you know, we there's resistant infections now that are starting to kill people that we none of our antibiotics work against, which mm. used to work no problems. It's very scary. Do you think there's a link with gut health there perhaps as well, well with quite, the antibiotics? Quite, quite possibly. But I would say what the bigger factor here mm. is that for many, many years, people wouldn't, you, they go to a doctor and if a doctor said, you're grand, go home, cop yourself on, uh, they they wouldn't accept that. No. And I think there was a pressure, and I've certainly spoken to some of my medical friends, to, um, you know, they if someone is very pushy, they won't leave without a prescription for something. Mm. So they write them a prescription for antibiotics. Now, that is being incredibly discouraged, but mm. we've done that for years, and there are definitely still people that, doctors that give in to that pressure. Uh, I think we need to, I, at least if you went to your online consultation yeah. and you said, I have a head cold, I need an antibiotic, the guy said, no. That is true. Stop. But when it comes to AI, I mean artificial intelligence, mm. um, do you think we're at the point where we've got robots operating on people's bodies or does it go that far? Well, um, AI is often a lot dumber than people think it is. Like It's like <laughs> you see these chatbots that become racist very quickly because yeah. all AI does it, is it uses, again, algorithms, sometimes open, sometimes closed, to try and learn things. Mm. Try to, it looks at this big set of data and says, is this associated with that? But firstly, it finds a lot of spurious kind of not real connections mm. and otherwise you can bias it I mean that Microsoft found this to their detriment when they put on that clever <laughs> chatbot that suddenly became really racist and started giving oh out conspiracy gosh, theories yeah. because the kind of people that were giving it the input were not representative I I hope to yeah. Christ yes. we're not yeah, representative yeah. of yeah. the whole so that's one thing Ar- in, arguably we already have robots doing surgery mm. or I should be more specific, performing procedures, Yeah, because for example, that's quite scary yeah. when we say that. Well, in, in radiotherapy, for example, yeah. the, your automated gantries, which yes. I see all the time. Yeah. Uh, now, there's always a human standing there coding it up. Mm. You know, if you're, getting a, if you're getting a radiotherapy treatment, someone has, a physicist usually, there's lots of us working in medicine, yeah. has uh, gone out there and done the radiation okay. prescription plan to work out what you should get. And that giant rotating arc arm gantry is essentially a robot. Wow. delivering at that mm. and there's other forms of precision medicine that are coming in as well but 
that is not to say that the human element will ever be it shouldn't be no I, I, you know you wouldn't want someone for it you know, <laughs> even if the robot's really good you want human supervision yeah, so it might make the job quicker and more accurate yeah. but you can never take the human out of the equation and no one in healthcare would want the human taken out of the equation no definitely not we've already got self-driving cars that are problems haven't we we don't <laughs> need it in our healthcare and I think when it comes to personalised health do you, do you see the future being a point where we're even tracking I mean for instance, we're tracking fertility now on apps. That, we're tracking it badly. Well, tra- let's be very fair. Okay, great. <laughs> Can you explain to everybody? Because I see this everywhere. They are not 100% accurate. They're not even close. There we go. Thank here, here, you. Here's the thing, right? These apps, this, is, this always reminds me of a bunch of people that half read a biology textbook in secondary school and said, we can make an app based on a cycle. Great. <laughs> Forgetting, so I'm, I'm doing with a, with, with a bunch in Ireland at the moment, we're, we're doing lectures in schools on debunking um, re- reproductive health myths. Oh, great. Now, I mainly focus on the HPV vaccine, yeah, but there's yeah. someone there focusing on contraception yeah. and periods. And oh, one of the things about, about you know, one's menstrual cycle is there's a lot of uncertainty on it, right? Mm-hmm. And there is so many other factors that an app, nothing could track. Like, they're, <laughs> they're not measurable factors. Like, even people going, oh, I'll use my, my vaginal mucus. That is a horrible phrase, but there you go. <laughs> Even then, you're like that doesn't know the uncertainty. Temperature is another one. Yes. People are taking temperature. But, but are they taking like are they taking it accurately? Accurately, no. no. And even if they were, it's only an indication. So you'd need to look at all of these things in in concert. People don't do that. And there is this idea, and it's it's the tech bro idiot version where people go, yeah, technology will solve that problem. And I just want to grab these people in Silicon Valley and bang their head off a table and go, no, 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 you are stupid. Stop. Oh dear. Like, well, the classic one uh, a few years ago was Elizabeth Holmes. And I think it was Tyrannos. And she had this big, huge company that promised you that from a prick of your blood, it could diagnose all these conditions. Terrifying. But all these statisticians mm. and uh, medical experts and people were going, that's impossible. It, it's not just impossible with the tech. It's impossible full stop because yeah. you get all these, your uncertainty would be so high, yeah. like the fertility apps, that would mean nothing. Yet she generated nine billion in investments for a company, which is the old adage about fools and their money being soon parted. But... It's insane. So people yeah. who think you can have technological solutions to biological problems are often big on tech, low on biology. Okay, thank you. That was a very clear cutthroat answer there. I'll I loved it. i hate mail for that one, I'm No, sure. no, it tech was bros. great. There is no hate mail on the Retrition channels at all. We are putting a stop to anything like that. So what about YouTube? Just throwing in God the whole da- YouTube question before we take some questions. I wish we followers. had alcohol here, I'll tell you that. I know, <laughs> I, know. I know. What about YouTube? So one of my major interests is vaccination policy. Yeah. Right. Far, par- partially because, for example, HPV mm-hmm. is responsible for 5% of all cancers. Oh my Not goodness. just, it's almost almost all genital cancers and anal cancers, but 5% of all cancers. Mm. We could eradicate them tomorrow. Well, okay, we need a bit more time, but we have the means to eradicate mm. them. We have HPV vaccines for several years now. It's super effective. And yet, around the world, uh, there's concerted movement against it. In Japan... Um, uh, mis- misapprehension about the vaccine brought coverage rate from 70% to 1% within a year. Ireland went from 87% way down to 50%. Denmark went down as low as 17% from 79 And most of these campaigns started on social media. But YouTube is a great offender. So you go on there, and I'm just taking the HPV vaccine as mm, one example. Like you do it with any vaccine. No, this is a no. good example. You go on and you type in HPV vaccine, and you can put in safe or dangerous, a modifier, and the vast majority of the stuff you encounter is telling you that this is apocalyptic. This is a terrible mm. thing and it's killing people. They're terrifying, these documentaries. The mm. one is called like Sacrificial Virgins, mm. all this kind of scary stuff. Gosh. It's nonsense. Mm. Um, when I 
give talks to school kids on this. Now, I do a lot of this in, in I've written about it for The Guardian or The Irish Times yeah. or, or talked about it in BBC. But when I even do outreach with school kids, one of the first questions I ask, particularly to younger girls, is who's, who's heard about this vaccine? What have you heard? And what they've heard and where they've got it from is really eye-opening. You hear, yeah. um, you know, they, they hear it's going to ruin their fertility. It's going mm-hmm. to, you know, be worse than getting HPV, mm. everything. And I, I, I'm looking at this kind of going, have you ever been close to someone that's had cervical cancer? Yeah. Or, you know, here's, this is, it prevents it. And, mm. and that is a really important message to get across. We had awareness in this country around the time Jade Goody, I yeah. don't know if you remember, yes, that was yes, a I huge, do. huge, I mean, a terrible for, thing for, for boosting cervical smears that went up massively yeah. but here's the thing about celebrity coverage right? yeah. and I, I, I've been quite interested in that for years yeah. how celebrities can oh, bolster can. or damage yeah. uh, impact things so Jade Goody very unfortunate and uh, died very young of cervical mm. cancer and her diagnosis boosted cervical smears by I think it was a four or five year high it was quite high mm. but only a few years after her death they fell to a 19 year low mm. so one of the things about this is that Celebrity coverage has a half-life. People are very interested at the time, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a lasting message. Kylie Minogue's breast cancer diagnosis caused a spike in mammograms in Australia, which was actually detrimental Mm. because the kind of people getting mammograms were young women and mammograms are useless for young women. They'll give you false positives all the time. So there were people requesting mammograms who really didn't need them and would probably be given a concerning diagnosis that isn't a real diagnosis. Um, cerv- cervical smears are very, very important. Mm. They're, they, they're, they're, they're a wide net that is supposed to catch, you know, it'll miss a few cases, mm-hmm. it'll catch a few markers, mm. but overall they save lives and it's kind yeah. of beneficial. But screening tests are only appropriate for the people they're directed for. But that's why the problem with having channels, because now the new TV is YouTube, is that mm. any, it's not really regulated. Anybody can say anything. It's the Wild West. There's, yeah, no, re- it, there's no regulation I'm whatsoever. I'm very happy we managed to cover that question, actually, in that topic. It's yeah. really important for everyone. And there's lots of questions that people have asked me to ask you. So oh, wow. Okay. I know. I know. Here we go. So you haven't seen any of these. I haven't. Um, <laughs> I know. So Saskia has said, I have two young boys who spend a lot of time playing computer games. I'm sorry, you're not alone there Saskia um, should I be worried about this potentially damaging their health um, I'd have to confess that I spent a disproportionate <laughs> of time playing computer games as how well how did I know that uh, was coming because <laughs> I'm a physicist I guess <laughs> um, we, we don't have many friends no I joke I joke um, I hope I joke yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I guess I guess the big test for that and, and, and again putting the caveat that I wouldn't necessarily be an expert in, in, in child development what I would say is if people are, if if the boys are playing a lot of games, but they're still interacting socially and they're doing well in school, then I don't think it's any different than if they're watching a bit of TV or doing mm. anything like that. In fact, it might even be more interactive because mm. a lot of people play games and they they make okay. friends. The only other thing to be concerned about in the modern era is when people are playing online games and if if, if kids are young, yeah. who are they interacting with? Yeah, and that is there's no substitute for parental just checking in now no. and then. Saying, and of course, activity hey. levels as well, like we yeah. were looking at before. I mean, has video gaming replaced, um, from my perspective, I don't know, outdoor? games and there's a balance that has to be struck my parents were quite good because my brother and I used to love playing games but they'd all say you can have a certain amount of hours in the weekend and maybe something during the week but but you gotta get your stuff done and you gotta spend time outside so everything's about striking a balance and playing the games themselves is is probably not gonna be that detrimental as long as it's not at the cost of other things well this is kind of leads me on to the next question so Maria has said she mindlessly and we've kind of covered this but she says she mindlessly spends hours on her phone without realising what kind of tips to cut down on 
on that or does she need to you know like we've discussed. I, I sometimes do it myself yeah. um, but it's usually when I'm trying to procrastinate over something and I and that's not always from a mental health perspective yeah. the best thing to do I think you sometimes have to force yourself and again this is just from my own perspective mm. I have no expertise on this I think sometimes you have to force yourself to kind of go right I'm going for a walk now I'll put the phone in my pocket or leave it at home oh, or whatever so else and I'll just say and once you get into the swing of doing something mm. you can often just feel a lot better the phone is um it, it's a pacifier for us sometimes it's like I'll just like scroll through my news feed on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever else hoping something interesting happens and reality it usually won't um, maybe maybe scrolling through the current news feed in the yeah. UK might be terrifying <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean so I, I think there is a level that you, if, yeah. if you're doing it a lot there is a potential that could be bad for your mental health or could be oh. reflective of you you know mm. not being particularly happy in something mm. else and that these are questions that you have to look to yourself to answer and say do I need to find something else or do I need to talk to someone that's the only thing I'd be wary of there like Mm. I've been often scrolling when you're procrastinating you're often stressed or upset or something about so yeah what's the coping mechanism that you've got to deal with that and James has asked is it affecting my eyesight can I damage my eyesight by looking too much at the phone you can strain your eyes like but that's said, usually yeah. transient um, mm. I, I'm not sure how many people have dropped a phone in their face uh, <laughs> or a laptop in their face I have done all of these things the laptop <laughs> hurt a lot more than the phone <laughs> but that could hurt your eyes yeah. but overall the kind of damage done by screens will be transient and usually can be avoided by yeah. you know good ocular health okay so Ollie has said oh this is a bit out there will technology ever enable us to live forever um, oh, I, I <laughs> that's, that's an interesting one um, people talk about things like consciousness transplants and there's an idea that we could upload our brains to you know it's like so a Hollywood movie really yeah, isn't it yeah and it's a lovely idea mm. except the brain is a horrifically complicated organ um, that we don't have the answers for yet fully still well and, we, and it, I'm, I'm not sure we ever will mm. I mean the interconnections of your neurons you're talking about billions upon billions oh. of billions of things interconnected in this intricate way that is very hard to replicate and even if you could I mean we might one day get the technological capacity to do that Mm. but would and then you get into the philosophical question would that be you? Yeah. Would that be an approximation (laughs) of you? I don't know um, Okay. who wants to live forever anyway. All right. No exactly. I love that song though it's a Queen song isn't it? I'm a big Queen fan so I'm glad glad, glad you spotted the reference. (laughs) I I was a Queen fanatic. (laughs) So moving on to my favourite part of the podcast, and this is called Fact or Fiction, the Quickfire Round. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) I'm in trouble. Okay, hit me. Are you ready? So you've got to answer fact or fiction. I'll try. Okay. Phones are bad for our health. It depends. (laughs) (laughs) Faction, maybe? Uh, I like that. It it, it depends how we use them. So. Definitely good and bad. I'm, I'm very against these, these. Faction is genius. We haven't had that answer yet. Okay. Anyway, our screen time is increasing. I would imagine that's probably true. We should clean our phones more often than our toilet seats. Um, we shouldn't clean our <laughs> toilet seats with our phones. That's for sure. I think as long as both your toilet seat and your phone are relatively clean, you're going to be fine. Okay. Sleep is affected by looking at our screens before bed. It can be. And the way to avoid that is to minimize phone usage before you want to sleep. Excellent. Hundreds of years from now, robots will replace all healthcare professionals. Um, I, I wouldn't extrapolate too far in the future, but they'll de- definitely help. Okay. I mean, like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's scary. Phone screens age our skin. No, not true. Technology can cause cancer. I got to qualify that one. If you say looked into a lineac or a particle accelerator, you'd probably get cancer. But most people aren't carrying those things around in their house. No. So your household electricity. 
and your household electric devices. And your microwave. And your microwave, you're grand. Don't put things in your microwave like cats or anything. That would be horrible. It wouldn't (laughs) be good for them, but... It's not humane. (laughs) Of all things, yeah. Technology is creating new health problems we didn't have before. Possibly in some ways. It's also helping other ones. So, you know, faction again. There we go. Healthcare will one day be completely personalised. I'd argue to a large extent healthcare already is. Certainly in Mm. my area of cancer research... Every every patient gets their own prescription, their own dose plan. I think that'll go further and further, and I think that's good. So yeah. I think we are, but I think people underestimate how personalised medicine is. We need another episode just on immunotherapy and all these different types of things out there because I would love to discuss that. Sure, so we, we can do a to, cancer episode. Some yeah, stage. we're going to have cool. to plan yeah, yeah. that. Um, technology will positively impact our health in the long term. I think in the long term, yes, but we have teething problems right now where we don't, and a lot of that's mental health, like, I mean, mm. which is as important as physical health, but yep. we don't necessarily have the best relationship with our tech. But when we get there, well, it's always good to have extra monitoring and things like that, mm-hmm. but as long as we know how to use it responsibly. Yeah. So it's all about responsible usage. That's very true. And that nearly wraps up the episode. But with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So in an ever-demanding and increasingly stressful world, as we've discussed, we're now subject to more information than ever before. Obviously, we don't want you going to YouTube, like we've said. Technology does provide us with an endless supply of content at our fingertips. And I find it can sometimes make it hard for me to switch off. We've both said that that's quite a difficult thing. And in this respect, the mindfulness boom has never been more important. So this is something that I work on a lot with my clients in Harley Street, and it's at the very core of a healthy body. So we're often distracted distracted by what's going on around us and that we're no longer truly present in a world that we live in. We miss out on things that are more important to us. And it's as we discussed before, David, you said, I've got a few notifications I want to see. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot that I don't want to see. But our nutrition, in my, my kind of viewpoint, deserves at least an equal thought and consideration. And I'm always reminded that you know, food has to undergo a complex biological process in the body, which takes time. And it involves a lot more interactions than a simple mouth to stomach pathway. So good digestion starts with taking time to eat properly, to eat mindfully, not scrolling your phone and eating at the same time, which I think a lot of people do, you'll be more likely to experience digestive discomfort if you're not concentrating and eating in a way that we're meant to naturally eat. So ultimately, allowing you to fully enjoy your food is kind of something that I think we should be aiming for. So if I could ask you, David, to finish today's episode with your food for thought that you want to give the listeners, it could be anything, what would that be? I think the most important thing, and and this kind of, I feel like I'm repeating myself a bit because I say this in a lot of my columns or a lot of my interviews. One of the most important things we all need to learn is how to differentiate our sources of information. We live in an era where the world's repository of information is literally at our fingertips, and yet Mm. misinformation has never been more common or Mm. more propagated. And there's good evidence that misinformation spreads further and, 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 and deeper than reliable sources. And this can have huge detrimental impacts on our health. It, it, it can be dietary. I mean, there's people that believe the keto diet can cure cancer, things like that. That's not Carnival true. Carnival diet, yeah, all this there. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that people ought to be wary of, I think, are simplistic messages, because most things are not simple. Most things are complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, like everything in life, if it's straightforward, it's probably not true or very, mm-hmm. very reductive. But also learning how to question things. And it's always good to question things. Even you go, okay, how do we know, just how do we know that? Where do we get that from? Why would you tell me that? Mm. So the how do we know that is is what we should ask. Is, is that information true? Okay, why? Wh- where did you get it from? 
um, where? 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 So did it come from, say, the World Health Organization or did you pull it off some crank website like Mercola.com? Because if you did, it's... it's uh, oh, goodness, it's at the top of every I mean, search engine. He's, you know what? Unfortunately, How he gets he more views it? on his cancer articles <gasps> than the National Cancer Center oh, and Institute in the USA. It's um, like the medical media I, we've I've, at the yeah, moment. Yeah, I have, I have. He's mentioned in my upcoming feature work. Um, oh, yes. But the, the, the other thing to say as well is why would you tell me that? If someone is trying to sell you something, which is often the case, mm. um, this supplement will prevent uh, cancer. And then they're trying to sell it to you, be they Alex Jones or some naturalistic health guru. The question is, well, you kind of have a vested interest in mm-hmm. selling me that, don't you? Mm. So reputable sources learning to identify them. Um, and, and that is not a Facebook meme. That is no. not an Instagram <laughs> share. That is not some, you know, celebrity on on, on a Twitter saying something, mm. you know. It is asking and, and teaching people the question. And the most important thing we can do for our health and our well-being is learning to say, OK, how do we separate the noise from the signal? I love that. It's not easy, but mm. we can all learn to do it. Well, that is brilliant, David. And I think for a lot of people, they're going to take so much away from this episode. So thank you so much, the, especially at the end, the how, where and why. It's really, really good information for people to implement. But how can we find out more about you? Have you got any projects coming up that people could invest into? Sure. So um, I, I'm more most active on Twitter. I'm trying to learn my Instagram. I have a very good friend who's helping me learn it, but I Great. still suck at it. Uh, well, it's like you said before, it's it's a tough world on Instagram. Yeah. Sometimes. Well, my, my Twitter usage is okay. I have I, I kind of use that fairly yeah. regularly. Um, and I have a re- website, davidrobertgrimes.com. And is your Twitter handle the same? At DRG1985. Sure. Um, I suppose I can probably announce this now. Um, yeah. I have a book coming out sometime later on in the year called The Irrational Ape. Amazing. And it's about how we can learn to, you know, differentiate useful information from from absolute nonsense and why it is more important than ever in an era of Brexit and Trump and all these kind of things (laughs) that doesn't it's not just about your health or about science it's about how do we find claims and and what mistakes do we make why do we fall for stuff so I got really interested in that and that book will be coming out under Simon and Suster some stage in the year I believe around August or September I'm not sure if I'm allowed to tell people that but screw it the microphone's here so it's <laughs> well, we done we appreciate it gosh a first glimpse in well I for one will be getting that and I'll be dropping all links for anybody that wants to know more and when we have the information about the book we'll be putting that out there thank so, you so much thank you for coming on David well thank you for having me Thank you so much for listening. It's heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing nutritional advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love what's coming next week. So click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Variety really is the spice of life, and I, for one, thoroughly enjoy trying new flavors and cuisines when it comes to my food. In fact, eating a variety of foods can help you manage your weight, improve general well-being, and reduce the risk of so many conditions. Mindful Chef recipes are all about taste, and with so many recipes to choose from, they make every day an opportunity to try something new. To order tasty recipes from Mindful Chef, head to mindfulchef.com forward slash food for thought, where you can save £20 across your first two boxes. You will also get a free cookbook written by the founders so you can continue to experiment in the kitchen.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 